0: Listening to the Mills Sunday School podcast. Amen. All right, Noelle, come on up here. Noelle is our uh, the Mills Women's Pastor, and uh, I know she's she has a heart for for women and salvation. And so, who better to talk this morning? Noelle Goodland, everybody. All right, thanks, Joe. Um, well, I am. I'm going to talk today a little bit about sanctification, and actually. When Joe asked if I would be willing to speak um, this month on this topic, this was the verse that came immediately to mind, and so I thought, okay, well, rather than think through—because there's tons of things that you could talk about with regards to salvation, but the verse that came to mind for me was uh, Philippians two twelve and 13, which says, "'Work out your salvation with fear and trembling.'" For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. And so that was the verse that came to mind. And I think it's an interesting one. And um, and so I want to talk a little bit today about that, about what it means. What does it mean when Paul says to work out our salvation? And there is sort of this interesting, it's not really a tension necessarily in Scripture um, in the New Testament, but sort of these different ideas in terms of salvation is... An experience a moment, and you guys probably talked about that last week, where we confess with our mouths and we believe in our hearts. This is what the Bible says. If you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, then you will be saved. Um, So it's a moment. It's a moment of confessing to God, I'm in need of you. I need the forgiveness of sins. I want you to be Lord of my life. But there are also these verses in the New Testament that talk about salvation as being something that we're going to inherit at one point. Or something that we're in the process of working out. And so I want to read a few scriptures that kind of highlight that. And then we'll, we'll kind of dive into specifically what it means to work out our, our salvation. Romans 13.11 says this. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And Paul is writing to believers here in Romans, and he's saying our salvation is nearer. And I think what he's implying there is by salvation is not that we're almost to the moment of individually giving our lives to the Lord, but our salvation in terms of the return of Christ is maybe nearer than what we think. And he uses the word salvation to describe that. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Again, in Corinthians, Paul is talking to believers. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to people who have already made the decision to follow Christ. They're committed. But he's saying godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Does he mean, well, when you sin, then when you repent, you're saved again? No, I don't think so. I think he's talking about this inner working out of salvation or sanctification that happens when we are believers. First Peter 2.2 says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Again, speaking to believers, encouraging them to grow up in their salvation. Implying that salvation is not just a one-moment experience in terms of how we maybe often think of it but that it is both an experience, a moment of dedicating and giving our lives to the Lord, but then also a process of walking that out. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Eternal salvation happens and is secured in an instant. The moment that we give our lives to Christ, the moment, moment that we repent of our sins and ask God to come into our hearts and to make us clean, we are justified. Who in here knows what justified means? It's an understanding of that. Okay. Justified just means that we're made right with God. There's nothing that's standing in our way. However these passages, Philippians 2, 12, and 13, imply that it is also this working out, this sanctification process. So I want to give you a definition of sanctification um, so that we kind of know what we're talking about as we move through today. And here's what I have. It's a little long, so I'm going to read it twice. Sanctification, the lifelong process started at the moment of salvation. In which the Holy Spirit partners with us to make us holy. Includes the repentance of sin, the understanding of truth, and the cultivation of godly character. Let me say it again. It's a lifelong process, meaning we aren't going to arrive in this lifetime. Started at the moment of salvation. In which the Holy Spirit partners with us, works in us to make us holy, includes repentance of sin, understanding of truth, and cultivation of godly character. Oswald Chambers puts it this way. Who in here has heard of Oswald Chambers? He's a really cool old guy. <laughs> he's dead now, um, but, but <laughs> so he's not just old, he's dead. But he, he puts it this way. He says, to work out what God has already worked in. So, whatever, what God has already done inside of us to begin to work that out from the inside out. So, today I want to look specifically at the passage in Philippians, and I want to talk about it. We're going to use that as kind of our launching pad, and not just this two-verse passage, but the whole book of Philippians. I'm going to refer to different things throughout the whole book, because I think that the way Paul leads up to these verses is strategic in what he says afterwards, that it all is connected. And so I want to I look at, first of all, um, if we're going to talk about what sanctification is, I want to talk about what it isn't. So what it isn't is this. We cannot earn our salvation or perform our way to perfection. Sometimes I think when we hear the word sanctification, what starts to run through our mind is Works. And there's this tension in scripture of faith and works, and it's all about performing, it's all about just having the right behavior, making the right decisions, and it is about that. But if we build the foundation on, it's something that I can do, we are going to be so frustrated. The reality is that we cannot earn our salvation, we cannot perform our way to perfection, I think this is a difficult thing for us to grasp. <laughs> and we may not, I mean, when I say that, probably most of us in here would, would not think, oh, yeah, I try to do that all the time. I'm like thinking to myself, yeah, like maybe tomorrow I'll, I can be perfect. I don't think we think that. But I think the way in which we act and the way in which we engage maybe indicates that on some level, we put a lot more weight on our human effort than maybe what we should I think Paul makes this point in Philippians. Did you know that in Philippians, Christ is mentioned more than 61 times? It's a small book of the Bible. It's four chapters. And he mentions Christ 61 times. When I read that, I thought, I think Paul is making a point here as to what makes this possible. What makes this working out of our salvation or this sanctification process possible? that it's Christ. That it's evident in, in Philippians that, that Paul is making a point that Christ is central. Central to our salvation, but also central to the working out of our salvation in our day-to-day lives. I think so often we are very, very keenly aware, if we think back to when we became a Christian, I think we remember how aware we were of our need for Christ. But then how quickly sometimes it can shift after we become a Christian to saying, okay, great, thank you so much, God, for I needed you. And now I think I, think I can take it from here and I'll see you at the finish line. We don't necessarily remember that the moment in which we realize our need for Christ, that that need for Christ continues, not just on the day of our salvation of giving our hearts to God, but throughout the rest of our lives, that it stays the same. And I think when we we maybe without realizing it and start to think, oh, maybe I can do it on my own, we find ourselves in this cycle, and I want to describe it and see if any of you resonate with it. I call it a cycle of pride and condemnation. And I would have never identified it as pride until recently probably, but it's pride in saying, I can do it. I can make it. I can work hard. I can I can get there. I can live the Christian life. I can be good in my own strength. I can do it. It's pride. It's saying, on my own, I can kind of I can I can make it. But then when we fail, it swings us around. To this point of condemnation, which says, I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I'm never going to be able to do this. I'm always going to struggle. Does anyone in here relate to that cycle? Yeah. So this is what I think it's like. How many of you have ever seen a hamster or owned a hamster? (sighs) Okay. I was thinking about this this week. When I was in middle school, I had a hamster named Muffin. And... (laughs) I loved this hamster. I mean, loved her. She, um, I don't know why my mom let me do this, but I got to keep the hamster in my room, like the cage in my room until it got, started to get kind of like smelly. And so then we had to move it to the garage, but um, I got to keep the hamster in my room and I would sometimes take muffin out and I would let her like, you know, you can put her in those little, you can put hamsters in those little balls and they run around and, um, and then I would sometimes take her out. I wouldn't even have her in anything, and I would just let her run around my room. She'd get lost, and then I'd find her. And, um, and the day that she died, the neighbors and I had a huge funeral procession down to this field behind our house and buried her. And we read scripture over her and everything. I mean, Muffin was a big deal in our neighborhood. Um, but I remember this one, when I first had gotten her, you know in the cages how they have those wheels that they can get on and run run on? Well, hamsters are nocturnal, and so I remember being woken up one night, and Muffin was on her wheel, and she was going for it. I mean, there was like, and the wheel was like rocking, and she's just like going like this, and her eyes are like staring straight ahead. She was focused. She was in the zone. She was on the wheel, and... Um, and as I was kind of thinking about this, I was like, I wonder, the, the problem was she wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> she was just staying in the same place, pedaling her wheel, putting all this effort and all this concentration and all this energy into moving this wheel, but she wasn't going anywhere. And I wonder if sometimes that's a little bit of what we could look like if we get caught in this cycle of pride pride. Condemnation, pride, condemnation, pride, condemnation, is that we end up looking a little bit like muffin on a wheel, (laughs) working so hard and putting so much energy in, but it's all our own effort, and it's built on a foundation of maybe I'm the one that has to make myself perfect. I have to do it in my own effort. I think Paul understood this about human nature, and he understood it in himself. Because he makes clear that he has a lot of reason to put hope in his own efforts. But he chooses not to. Look at this. This is in Philippians. This is in the chapter right after the passage that says, Work out your salvation, fear and trembling. It says this. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And then he goes on in verse 12, acknowledging that he has not obtained it, that he is not perfect. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You see the difference between I can do it, I can do it, oh, I can't do it, I failed. And staying kind of in the same place. Versus Paul acknowledging, yes, I have all of these things that would indicate that I can. Even in terms of legalistic righteousness, I would say that I am faultless. But I cast all of that aside for the sake of Christ. How central Christ is to him. Working out our salvation is not the same as just doing a bunch of good works. But it is a willingness to cooperate with God and allow him to get into the deepest parts of our heart and work. It's an acknowledgement of our dependence on him. And this, I think, has to be the foundation I think we have to understand what sanctification isn't, that it isn't doing a bunch of things in our own human effort, but rather that it's laying a foundation on Christ. And that's what salvation does. Salvation lays a foundation on Christ, but the process has to continue being built on that foundation. So I want to give you three ideas, and when I say ideas, I more so mean like things that I hope would get inside of our hearts. Not just, oh, that's a nice idea. That's a great thing to think about. But something that we would really internalize as being essential to working out our salvation. The first is to die more. <laughs> we first die at salvation. Second Corinthians 5.17 says that the old has gone, the new has come. That there's this sort of acknowledgement that the, the way that we were is now dead and that we are now alive in Christ. Dead to sin, alive in Christ. But death is always a, also a part of our working out of our salvation. It's a willingness to put to death things that are not godly inside of us. I remember... A time when this really resonated with me was probably a few years ago I was in a wedding with a friend and i had been in weddings before now but it was my first wedding where Aaron Stern was officiating and I don't know how many of you in here have ever been to a wedding where Aaron's done like the message or whatever okay so some of you might be able to relate to this but I'm standing up there and I've always thought I mean weddings are amazing so beautiful it's all about love and all of that and the first thing that Aaron said in this particular ceremony, we're, and we're standing up there, he said, we've come today to celebrate the death of two people. That's exactly what he said. And I was like, this is awkward. <laughs> Just like, that does not seem <laughs> like, shouldn't we be talking about love and all the feel-good things, you know, like the hope for the future and Um, And it is. It's amazing. But that is how he chose to start his talk to the couple on marriage. We have come today to celebrate the death of two people. And I was single at the time, and I remember standing up there going, wow, this is like serious business. (laughs) This is nothing that you, like, mess around with. People are dying today. (laughs) I had no idea. (laughs) But it's not just in marriage that that... And the idea being that now this person is going to lay down their life for this other person. They don't belong to themselves anymore. And, and that's, not, that's not something that just happens in marriage. In fact, marriage is a prototype for us. How God interacts with his people. That when we become Christians, we don't just belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to Jesus. We belong to God. So what we do is not entirely up to us. We don't always like that. Sometimes I wish it was up to me. But when I encounter something in myself, sin or, um, or lack of patience, I used to have a real road rage problem. Some, I know probably a lot of you can't believe that, but I did. I would literally cuss out drivers if they would cut me off. That's not I don't think that's pleasing to God. Made me feel better in the moment. But my life doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to God. So when I run into things within myself that are not of Him, what am I gonna do? I have a choice to make. Am I gonna choose to die? To be willing to kill that part of myself? To let it wither away? Or am I going to hold on to it and feed it and keep it alive and nurture it? The second thing is is to develop an attitude. So the first is to die more. The second is to develop an attitude. I think this plays out in two ways. One is an attitude that embraces how God refines us. I think sometimes we hope for or want life to be easy. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but when is the last time that you heard someone say, yeah, I just got a new job. I'm making double what I was making before. That girl I always wanted to like me is like totally coming after me now. And I got a new car. It's the car I've always dreamed of. And, and then they ended with, I feel so refined right now i feel like god is refining me i've never heard that before i think sometimes more than we would be care to acknowledge that god works and refines us in the areas where we're challenged where we're discouraged where life is difficult where we fail I think some of that has to do that when life is going well, and I'll speak for myself, but when life is going well, I have a tendency to give myself the credit. I'm doing something that is making this great. there is something about the challenges of life that put pressure on these different parts of our hearts that cause it to come to the surface and we see it and it allow we, we need we recognize our need for God and we allow him in there and he does a work he refines he it's a working out of our salvation we see this in scripture first Peter 1 6 through 9 it says in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials But Peter is saying it doesn't come, it's not coming through something that's easy. It's coming through something that's challenging. Oswald Chambers, again, the great old dead guy, says, um, <laughs> he says, Thank God that he does give us difficult things to do. His salvation is a joyous thing, but it is also something that requires bravery, courage, and holiness. It tests us for all that we are worth. Jesus is bringing many sons sons to glory and God will not shield us from the requirements of sonship. God's grace produces men and women with a strong family likeness to Jesus Christ, not pampered, spoiled weaklings. Good, huh? That if we say, I want to be like Christ, then we have to look at what was Christ's life like? What was he like? (laughs) He was strong, obedient, faithful, loved the Father. But he also walked through some, obviously, laid his life down. And Paul encourages us, actually, right before he gets to this passage of working out your salvation, he sets it up with this passage that's talking about, have the same attitude of Christ, of Jesus, who humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. So Paul and Scripture are preparing us. Look, the the life of salvation, the walk of salvation, is not necessarily always an easy one. God uses discouragements, losses, doubts, heartaches to show himself to us and to make us more like him. And I think these things can be big or they can be small. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a death or a divorce or... Um, losing your job, though those things will refine you. (laughs) They will help you to work out your salvation. But equally valuable are the little challenges, a conflict with your roommate, or getting cut off in traffic and having to decide, are you going to cuss out the driver, or are you going to close your mouth? (laughs) You know? There was um, recently a perfect example of this for for us. We went, a couple weeks ago, we went to Portland, Oregon, and then Seattle, and we were in the airport. It was the last big snowstorm. I don't know if you guys remember that. It was a few weeks ago. Um, but we had driven up way early because we heard that the weather was going to be bad, so we got to the airport six hours before our flight left, and as we were driving to Denver, it was like not even snowing at all, and so, and I should pre. To start my morning, I had been carrying a bowl of milk and cereal up the stairs, and I tripped and we were all, I was, we were all ready to leave the house and I milk and granola went up in the air and landed like all over me. It was in my hair like later in the day, I found like a piece of granola back in in my hair and <laughs> And all it got in my bag. I went to coffee with a girl right after that. And I was like, oh, I want to show you this book I've been reading. And I, pull, <laughs> I pulled it out. And there was like milk dripping off of it. I didn't know it had gotten in my bag before I got there. People, she was like, what's wrong with your purse? <laughs> I, was, I was like, well, let me tell you about my morning. Um, so we get to Denver, and it's not even snowing. And we, so we're like, OK, great. We'll just wait it out till our flight. Well, within a matter of 4 o'clock, it kind of start, starts snowing a little bit. Our flight left at seven between four and seven. It got so bad that they ended up shutting down the airport to plow the runways and they had brought they brought a bunch of people off planes that they had already boarded and When they announced that the airport was going to close, people freaked out i have I have never seen anything like it. This one guy was like threw his hands up in the air and he was like. What am I going to do? What am I supposed to do? He's like screaming at this lady. And then he takes his boarding pass and he's like, do you see this? And he throws it down on the ground and like stomps off. It was like watching a two-year-old have a temper tantrum, but he's like 50 years old. And so Jacob and I are just like watching like pandemonium, and then there's always like the person who like thrives on crisis. And we ended up like being right near him, and he's like looking on the weather, and he's like telling everyone it's supposed to snow till Saturday night. We could be in here for days, you know, like that kind of guy. And you're like, he's like secretly he just like loves it, you know. The girl next to him was like, oh, I'm gonna miss my girlfriend's birthday party, you know. It's just it was just terrible. <laughs> And then we ended up waiting. We got in line to board. Then they said, because they reopened the airport a couple hours later, oh, our, your flight crew got diverted to Salt Lake City, so it's going to be another couple hours. So we sit down, we wait some more, finally get on the airplane, wait for de icing, take off at 1 in the morning, fly 30 minutes. And then they come on and say, the landing gear won't go all the way up. We have to turn around. So we turn around, we go back to the airport. We get off. There's another flight that's there waiting to take off. And Jacob and I are like, oh, we just want to go tonight. We don't really care what time we get in. The lady comes out and she says, Portland, you guys are going to go tonight. And Sacramento, you're going to have to stay here in the airport. And we're like, yes. So I run to the bathroom and I come back. And Jacob's standing in line at the counter. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she, he was like, they announced it wrong. We're staying in the airport tonight. And Sacramento is going. And I was like, you are kidding me. At this point, it's 2 in the morning, and we're leaving at 7 the next morning. Obviously, we live two hours from the airport, but not enough time to drive home and then come back. So we just ended up sleeping in the airport. I think those are those are life circumstances that refine you. You know? Like, that's the kind of thing. That's where it's at. Um, so anyway, and I think sometimes we we feel like um, so to embrace how God refines us, but then also to, we feel like, okay, that it's in the big moments that I'm going to be refined, but it isn't those types of moments where it's just like, I just had the worst day I could possibly imagine, and I'm tired, and I'm grumpy, that God meets us there, and he does a work. (laughs) It's just not always pretty. (laughs) The second part of our attitude is the attitude that chooses to join our will with God's will and the choices that we make. And this is one of something I feel really passionate about, um, and that is that I think this happens in the most insignificant and ordinary moments we could possibly imagine. That I think it happens, it does happen in moments where we're thinking about who do I want to marry? Or should I take this job? Or should I move overseas? Or what's my calling in life? What do I feel like God's asking me to do? That it does happen in those moments where we say, God, I want your will for my life. I want what you want for me. So I'm going to partner my will with yours. And our will is our ability to make decisions, to choose a certain direction, to think things through. So in those big moments, I think all of us would probably agree that we want to connect our lives with God's will, but I also think it is in the small moments that we often miss that God is also saying, what's my will for you in this situation? And I, wanna, I want you to partner and join your will with mine. Um, Oswald, again, I, I did a lot of Oswald Chambers in this talk, but Oswald Chambers writes that the most profound thing in a person is his will, not his sin. The most profound thing in a person is his will, not his sin. Why? Because when we encounter sin within ourselves, we are able to choose what we're go- how we're going to respond to it, what we're going to do with it. Am I going to come to God with it? Am I going to connect with him in it? Or am I going to choose to continue to engage in it? That's our will that's talking. So, I have something that I think demonstrates this. It came to my mind, so hopefully it will work. This is what I think this is like. All right, does everyone see what this is? What is this? (laughs) It's a piece of string. (laughs) All right, so this is, um, this is just a blue piece of string. But imagine if this represents our will, OK? So this is our will, small, thin, weak. Can you imagine, like, pulling a car or something with this? Would you want to hang off a cliff with this, attached around your waist? Probably not. Okay. So what if this represents our will? Then what if this represents God's will? This was the biggest piece of rope I found. I went to Home Depot and I was like, I need like a really fat piece of rope. But this is what they gave me. (laughs) All right, so so imagine if this is God's will, okay? It's thicker. I think if I had to hang off a cliff, I would rather have this wrapped around my waist than this. (laughs) I feel like I'd be more successful at pulling a car with this than I would with this. So this is what I think this is like. This is our will. This is sort of reflects our patience. So when we decide, okay, I'm serious about wanting to walk with God. I'm serious about wanting to work out my salvation. How successful would we be if this was what we worked with? Not as much. But imagine if we said, I'm going to join my will with God's will. And I'm going to do something like this. This is working out so well. I'm so excited. Okay. (laughs) Whoa, come back here. Now, what do we think? Amazing. You can't even tell. I mean, I can see it up here. There's a little bit of blue in with the yellow. This is better, don't you think? I love this picture. Our will is still in the mix, but we decide, I'm going to intertwine my will with God. I'm going to agree with him. This is going to make this process of sanctification possible. Because left to our own, it would be impossible. Both God, all things are possible, right? The last area that I think is key, and there are others, I'm sure, with working on our salvation, but these are three that came to mind and I think are demonstrated. The other thing I think about with... Um, regards to choosing to join our will and that it happens in insignificant or ordinary moments is that if you look at the book of Philippians, Paul is talking directly to issues that are not major life decisions. He's talking to them about how they treat each other, what their attitude is going to be like when they approach life. Are they going to be selfish? Are they going to be unselfish? Are they going to consider others better than themselves? Are they going to try to make their own agenda happen first? When we read it in scripture, sometimes we make it bigger than what it is. That's not to make it insignificant, but it's to say that we deal with those things every single day in our lives. Am I going to help this person when I don't feel like it, or am I not going to? Am I going to encourage my roommate, even though I'm frustrated with her, or am I not? Am I going to work through a conflict I had with a friend because I know it's going to strengthen our relationship, or am I just going to choose to check out? The third is to live in community. So die more. Die more is the first one. Develop an attitude. Live in community. I think it's difficult, if not almost impossible probably, to really truly experience sanctification without being connected with other people. I mean, how many of you have... Let me me ask you this. How many of you guys have ever had someone in your life that was difficult to love? Someone who just bugged the heck out of you. you, And so for those of you, if you chose to engage relationship with them, did it change you? Some of you are like, no, it made me a worse person. (laughs) (laughs) Now I have forgiveness issues. (laughs) But that's good, right? That's part of the process. Um, Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And Paul in Philippians is not writing to an individual. He is writing to a group of individuals. And he is encouraging them how to work together. So much of the rub, the pressure, the tension that produces growth in us comes from bumping up against other people. We do every... Spring, here at the church, we do these roundtables for college pastors, And in my session on pastoring people, this is one of the things that I tell them is you will, be, you will probably end up being more refined than the people that you are trying to help because of the growth that happens when we interact with people. When I was in high school, I worked at an office supply store. It was very small, up in Monument. And there was a guy who would come in. He was older. His wife had died. He would come in every week and he would lean up on the counter and he would say, have I told you about my prostate surgery I had six months ago? No. I'm not kidding. And I would say, actually, yeah, you did mention that last week. We talked about it. Do you remember? Well, let me just tell you about some of the things that I'm struggling with. And he would kind of, I know, awkward, right? And he would talk about the surgery and how he was feeling. I mean, it was just not a very pleasant thing to be a part of. And it got to the point where when I would see him coming, sometimes I would run the store by myself, I'd be like, could I close the store for like 15 minutes? You know, like just shut the store down. Maybe he'll go away. But I realized like, okay, this guy is lonely. He doesn't have people to talk to. And this is obviously the thing that concerns him the most right now. He doesn't feel good and he's alone and nobody's take care of him. So, did I necessarily enjoy that? No, but did it challenge me to love and to go deeper? Yes. I want to um, close with, and we're gonna. It looks like we're gonna end a little early today, but I want to close with um, a quote from C.S. Lewis's Mare Christianity* um, that I think ties in or connects some of these ideas. Um, The idea that it isn't about earning or working our way toward perfection. That it is, to go back to our definition in the beginning, that it is about a willingness to partner with the Holy Spirit, that we can't do it without God, that we're dependent on him, that our foundation is Jesus and that is what we operate out of. But then that we are willing to partner our will with God's, to die more when we encounter things within ourselves that are not of him, and to choose to live in community. I think there are a lot of reasons why we wouldn't want to live in community. We've been hurt by people. Um, It's just harder, I think, sometimes, but it's also richer. That just like there are challenges that come with it, that there are also amazing blessings of being known, of having people to encourage you, of having people to walk through life with, To learn how to forgive, to learn how to love. Where do we learn how to do those things if it's not within community? And I think it's hard because a lot of us have grown up in broken families, and maybe we haven't experienced that. So we feel like, how do I? I don't even know how to do that. But scripture is so clear that we are intended to be connected with each other and that we need each other. But I think this passage highlights what ultimately the big picture is, and so I want to read it. Says, I think all Christians would agree with me if I said that though Christianity seems at first to be all about morality, all about duties and rules and guilt and virtue, yet it leads you on, out of all of that, into something beyond. One has a glimpse of a country where they do not talk of those things except perhaps as a joke. Everyone there is filled full with what we should call goodness as a mirror is filled with light. But they do not call it goodness. They do not call it anything. They are not even thinking of it. They are too busy looking at the source from which it comes. I thought that was awesome. Because essentially what he's saying is it's not, at the end of the day, about rules. It's not about morality. It's not about doing the good behavior. But it is about looking at where, what's driving all of this. What's our foundation on Where does the work inside of us even come from? When Paul says, let's go back to just Philippians 2 real quick. When he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It is God who does it. And so to fix our eyes on him. And that's what I love about what C.S. Lewis is saying. Is that the farther we go in Christ, the more we understand who he is, the less it becomes about doing the right thing and about becoming like Him, fixing our eyes on Him and allowing Him to work in us and to work out what He's already done inside of us. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, well, let me close in prayer and then we'll be done a few minutes early. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for... Your willingness to come to earth to send your son. I thank you for the salvation of our souls. God, that we would know you, that you would make us clean and right before you. And Father, I pray that as we think about these things, as we think about what it means, what does it mean to work out our salvation? What does it mean to allow ourselves to go through a process where we'd be sanctified, where we'd become more like you, where we'd become holy, Lord, that holiness would be cultivated inside of us, godly character. That I pray, Father, that you would show us where we can die. Areas, Lord, that you would, that are not ultimately going to produce fruit. Things that are not of you. I pray you'd help us, Lord, to realize that in challenges, in difficulties, God, that you meet us there and you do a work in our hearts. That even though that doesn't make it easier, Lord, that we would, It would help us, give us hope that you're able to bring something beautiful out of something that's challenging. And Father, I pray that you would teach us what it looks like to live in community, to have friends, to let people know us, for us to know them, to allow people to work in our lives, the challenges of interacting with them, and the amazing things that we learn about love and caring and kindness and selflessness that can only come through people. And Father, we just commit these ideas to you and we give you permission to do with them in our hearts what you would want, them, want to do. We say, ultimately, God, we fix our eyes on you. We belong to you. You are the author and the perfecter of our faith. And we want what you want for us. We want your purposes in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.